Hi, CityCast listeners. The fall weather is fabulous. It's a great time to go exploring. So today, we're bringing back one of our favorite Neighborhood Guide episodes. I'm talking with CityCast contributor and Westview resident Evan Mintz, and also with the novelist Chris Kander, who's not only a Westview resident, but who set her novel there. It is Tuesday, November 1st, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. Evan and Chris, thank you all so much for joining me. Um, Chris, I have been reading your novel, and I am just loving it. I don't think enough fiction has been written about Houston, and the picture of Westview that I am getting is... It feels right. <laughs> it's really fun. <laughs> and Evan, you also live in Westview, right? That's right. I'm on the parks board. Oh, that's that's a very Westview thing to be. <laughs> All right. So y'all are my Westview experts. Let's start. What is Westview? Where is it? Why is it called Westview? Westview, as you can get from the name, it is West of the university, and that university is Rice University. Okay, proper name, West University Place. It is a place west of Rice University. Correct. Okay. It's its own city. It's got 15,000 people. It It is a city entirely surrounded by Houston. And Southside Place. Oh, yeah, okay, that's another boundary. Correct. Okay. Southside Place is like the little door. If you look at the perimeter, the shape of West University Place, it looks like a house. (laughs) And the the doorway cutout is Southside Place. Oh. So we we sort of surround Southside Place. Yeah. The idea that it's shaped like a house, that seems perfect to me for Westview. Because it feels like a suburban place, a small town kind of place. It it does kind of feel like a little slice of Mayberry. uh, Mm -hmm. And that it's got its own little fire department, its own little police department, you know, its own little cute uh, ice cream shops parks and it's got a bunch of baseball fields in the middle of it Uh, but but i would also argue that westview is very urban in many ways it is incredibly walkable you have a lot of homes next to businesses that people in those homes would use you see kids walking to school where else in houston do you see a lot of kids walking to their school it's a place that really was set up to have good infrastructure to be walkable and drivable and livable uh, in ways that I'd say Houston, other parts of Houston are aspiring to be. Yeah, I mean, it feels to me like Mayberry for rich people. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it didn't always yeah. used to be for rich people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so so back up. What? How did it get started? What is the history of Westview? So that's a good question, and I had that question too. Uh-huh. So this past week, I went down to the University of Houston Library to find a thesis that someone had written about the founding of Westview. <laughs> Which I was titled okay. Suburban Pioneers. Oh, uh, and oh, I would pioneers. say that, uh, yeah, g- g- slightly questionable framing, but the idea <laughs> was that much how these brave pioneers tamed the West with their plows, uh, these pioneers of Houston suburbs tamed the land uh, with bond elections and water infrastructure. <laughs> and like so much of Houston, uh, Westview really was founded out of flooding. You had yeah. these new developments out along the trolley lines, and you had right here uh, at Westview along, used to be a trolley on Bel Air, uh, the idea that they'd sell a bunch of land, and the land had originally been sold from 
you know, the Mexican government, to some landholders, to the former governor of Tennessee, to some other landowners, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> until turn of the 20th century, uh-huh. uh, kind of around World War One, they start building homes. Uh, and they realize that when it rains, it floods in Westview. And oh. not only did it flood, but they described it as being like a saucer where the water would just sit there and it wouldn't go anywhere else. Uh, and the people who lived there realized that they needed ways to raise money to build flood infrastructure. And so oh, wow. the option they had at hand was to incorporate yeah. it. When they first incorporated... What year was this? 1924. And the idea uh, was that, like, well, we'll build this infrastructure and eventually we'll get annexed by the city of Houston. Because everyone kind of wanted to get annexed by the city of Houston at the time. And you had all these new oh. developments, you know, coming up around town. River Oaks, yeah. uh, Southmore, all that kind of stuff. Um but eventually, Westview put so much money into its early infrastructure that it led to political controversy and people thought they were overtaxed and they were getting sued by their bondholders. But by the time all that kind of came to fruition, they realized they had really good infrastructure and they didn't trust the city of Houston to be as good. And they saw what was happening on the other side of the city boundaries and said, no, no, we're content to be ourselves. And like kind of the big cutting of the potential umbilical cord was when the city created its own wastewater treatment facility. So they didn't have to rely on the city of Houston for sewer services. Wow. Okay. Who was living in Westview back then? What was it like? Uh, white people, mostly. Well, okay. There, this there was were, when Houston was mainly white or black? Yes. A little bit of Mexican? There were laws prohibiting the yeah. sale, lease, or transfer of land to people, quote, of African descent. Um, though you can look at early census reports and there were some black people living in the city. But the thing that really stood out to me is that if you look at the early homes that were originally built in Westview, they're much cheaper than the ones being built in Southside Place or, or other surrounding neighborhoods. Uh, the cheaper idea is, for the time. Right, cheaper for the time. I mean, housing was, was way cheaper an back then. Anyways. Neighborhood at the time. Not at all. It was aggressively middle class in contrast to other neighborhoods around it. I have a personal connection to Westview, aside from the fact that I've been living here with my family for 17 years. My dad was born on Centenary Street. Oh, wow. In 1939. Wow. Oh. Yeah. So his family was one of those early families that, that lived there. And, um, and they lived here for several years. I don't know exactly how many years, but maybe five to six years before moving to a different part of town. But I love the fact that, you know, I have that family connection, even though there was a large gap of many decades that none of us lived here. Right. What was your dad's family like in 1939? Well, they were working uh -huh. people. My grandmother was married to her first husband uh -huh. and um, they that's when they had my dad. And they divorced, and then she remarried a lawyer, an oil and gas attorney. And, you know, they were very kind of simple people that grew into being cultured and enjoying the nicer things in life. Mm -hmm. um, but, but it was interesting because he had, Pop had a housekeeper that he called Nanny, and she was a full-time live-in housekeeper. And his memories are mostly of his relationship with Nanny around the neighborhood. Wow. Oh. Yeah. That idea of like a simple family that grew into being cultured, that sounds like West U to me too. It is. I think that there is, there's a, a lot of, um, and what I've noticed recently is, is kind of an, a stunning um, presence of 
young people with lots of disposable income. So we moved into this neighborhood in 2005 and I was pregnant with our second child Mm -hmm. and it was a stretch at the time. We found a great house at a great price. And these days I think of the young families that are moving in at price points well above a million, sometimes even higher than that and wonder, how are they pulling this off? They're so freshly married, they don't have families yet and are expecting to. But I think that there's a difference between, you know, these old families that have lived here for for decades and then this new generation that's moving in because it is such a family forward Mm -hmm. area with its wonderful elementary school. So many people move in here because of the elementary school, which is now just about 100 years old, almost 100 years old. And So it's really fascinating, this disparity of wealth, what looks like a disparity of wealth and um, and this sort of aspirational lifestyle. And I'll I'll just note that the Uh Westview local government has a senior services program paid for out of taxpayer dollars to help support the people who have been in their homes for a very long time, who have been in the neighborhood for a long time and seen a change around them. That's actually kind of nice. They're not pushing the older generation no, they're out. Not pushing that. It's a weird yeah. sort of like it's it's not gentrification because it's always been gentrified. Okay, it started working class, and it's right. definitely not it working did. class now. But the gentrification happened long ago. The, the transition, yes. I think, happened yeah. in the nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties, and you can go back yeah. and read yeah. that there is sudden concern that they're tearing down these old homes and building big new homes, and there is concern at the time that you're building these homes that are too big, too close to each other. Uh, that's leading to a decline of the sea breeze that a lot of these older homes really relied on <laughs> to stay cool during the summer. And if you have all these homes blocking the wind, you're not getting that anymore. Right. The 80s, the mid to late 80s, were when you saw all of the big brick colonials that started replacing the 1940s bylaws. Mm-hmm. And so you, but what is cool about this neighborhood is that you can drive around and, you know, some areas have morphed to look more um, homogenous, but you can still see uh, such a mix of uh, architectural styles that represent the different major eras of this neighborhood. And there's constantly uh, new construction or reconstruction happening. Mm -hmm. So there's this, you know, real historical time capsule in Westview of being able to drive around and see the very cool old brick archways over the bungalows in, in the era that that was popular. And then Sort of the so that would be like lap siding. 1920s, 30s. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and, and then, then you yeah. just have the the brick houses in the late 80s, mm-hmm. and now what is very popular is doing like a a German schmear, and so a lot of homes, mine included, <laughs> we upgraded it or updated it rather um, with this new look that's becoming very popular, and actually a lot of new construction is doing that rather than doing it over old brick. They're actually you know starting. So that's just that the way. white brick. So it's a, uh, yeah, it's a fascinating yeah. evolution of uh, wealth and architectural styles and cultural changes that you can see anywhere in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It is something neat about Westview that even though it has zoning, it doesn't have particular design codes in the way that you see in other high-end neighborhoods. And I'll just point out that Westview is home to the Darth Vader house. Oh, <laughs> yes. Okay, describe the Darth Vader house. Uh, it is a house that looks like Darth Vader's mask. It is big and black <laughs> and like angled in a weird way, almost kind of like a stealth bomber. And recently it went on the market. I've been driving by for years and never saw the inside. <laughs> uh, and, and I swear when uh, when Steely Dan sings about high in the custard dome, like that is what the inside <laughs> looks like. 
It was like real yeah. cocaine. Did you go in? I, I did not go on, when it was open. House. Oh, you did, Chris? I did. Yes, and? I did. And it was, let's just say this. I don't know if anybody's purchased it, yeah. but it, it went on the market for, I think, a little over $4 million. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take a very specific kind of buyer <laughs> to, to move into that because mm-hmm. it's quite an unusual. It's got like weird corridors around the perimeter uh-huh. and oddly open in the middle. So like from the second floor, you can see directly into the ba- uh, the master bedroom. There's no ceiling. <laughs> I should say main bedroom. And all these little weird cubby bedrooms off like it's almost, I mean, one can really imagine the kinds of shenanigans that could go on in that place. Oh, yeah. And something else you see in these Westview homes, you see a lot of homes starting to get rid of their yard. You see this move away from the grass yard. And while there are setback requirements, you see people putting in gardens, you see people putting in xeriscaping. It's really interesting to see that type of flexibility. I remember the first home I saw where they didn't put in that sod front yard was in Westview. And I was kind of shocked by it at the time. But now it seems like they're really ahead of themselves. Yeah. And and I I think that gets to something really important about Westview is that sort of focus on the yard, Mm -hmm. the front facing thing. And Chris, you... The opening of your novel is all about that. Could could you talk a little (laughs) about that? Well, so the opening of A Gracious Neighbor Mm -hmm. is uh, features the protagonist, Martha Hale, observing the fact that, you know, in early February, a lot of her neighbors have started pruning back their crepe myrtles. And she's reflecting on the fact that, you know, if it were up to her, she wouldn't commit crepe murder which is a lot of, of what horticulturists say is happening when people trim back their crepe myrtles. Because it leaves those and ugly yet, knobs. It leaves those yeah. ugly gnarled knots that look like arthritic hands. Uh-huh. And yet she, and she's a fictional character, but I think, you know, we can identify with oh, this. Yes. Um, she's so self-conscious about what her neighbors are going to think if she doesn't trim her crepe myrtles <laughs> that she goes ahead and commits crepe murder anyway. And it is very much a, a symbol of this desire to conform and to participate in this overall beautification of the neighborhood by keeping your own front lawn tidy and groomed and beautified. And so I think that, you know, that is not a shocker. I mean, you don't see many houses in this neighborhood that aren't well tended. Mm-hmm. In some way. They may be well tended in different ways, but there's yes, definitely but a they front are all that is groomed. There is an absolute effort. And every single day of the week, you hear gas-powered blowers mm-hmm. and lawn crews. Everybody's out getting their, their lawns tended. That's something that I think I was shocked by the very beginning of COVID, staying at home all day for the first time, realizing how much hired manpower it takes to maintain these lawns, to maintain this aesthetic. Yeah that there really is this whole labor force out there required to do any of this, because if people had to do it themselves, I don't think it'd get done. To me, Westview feels super safe. You know, just this great, beautiful place to raise kids. What do y'all think? I work from home as a writer, and so I was very fortunate to be able to be at home uh, when my kids were little. And what I loved, I live on, I my block butts up against community drive. So there's not a whole lot of through traffic, but we basically treated it like a dead end street. And the kids, all the kids on the block were always outside, you know, riding ripsticks and skateboards and their bikes and their whatever, dragging each other around, you know, like they were skiing behind a bicycle. <laughs> and, and what I loved is that, 
you know, I never locked my door until it was nighttime and we were ready to close up for the night. But I had kids running in and out of my house all day long, eating out of my fridge, you know, need a Band-Aid, need a hug, need a glass of water. And everybody on the block was like that. And it was fantastic because there was this real sense of old fashioned community and that everybody felt safe. Everybody was seen. And I can't speak that that's true on a much busier block in the neighborhood, but where we happened to be, it always felt so safe and that there were enough mothers and fathers, parents around and at home to keep an eye on this collective group of kids that were growing up around each other. Ah, yeah. Do you think it still feels that way? It does. My kids are older now. I have one who's in college and one who's uh, in high school. But there's a whole new batch of yeah. little biddles, and they're doing the same thing. I love it. I, I see these dang teens going around their neighborhood on their bikes doing teen stuff. And it feels <laughs> nice uh, in a way that you, you can go down these streets that there's not too much traffic. They just lowered the speed limit to 25 miles an hour. Uh, yeah. And while the city does lack, uh, say, for bike lanes and the sidewalks are a little narrow. They are well-maintained. You can kind of rely that if you know the right streets to go down at the right time of day, you can walk in the middle of the road and don't have to worry too much about it. Exactly. Oh, it's very sweet. So if someone is not living in Westview, if they're an outsider and they want to experience it, is it easy? Can we just come in and go look at things or? I mean, don't speed. Like they'll they'll pull you over. (laughs) Okay. That's important. All right. There's not much of a shopping area like an old, you know, small town that you think of outside of, you know, like in the hill country. Mm-hmm. But there is a little uh, shopping area um, and there is milk Where and is cookies that? and tinies. Uh-huh. Milk and cookies is on Edlow at um, uh, Rice. Mm-hmm. And it is owned by the same people that own uh, Tiny's number five, which is part of the tiny boxwoods. And it's a, it's like, they've got a, um, a window. So you just walk up to the window and you can order milk and cookies. And oh, it's a fun little that is thing. Very West View. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you can, you can hang a play at the West Elementary playground. You can go to any of the parks mm-hmm. or open. There's no checking to see if you're a resident. Now you do have to have a membership to go to the pool. Mm-hmm. Um, can I buy my way in? No, I don't think I don't no, think members buy a, a, a daily yeah. pass. Yeah. Okay. A daily mm-hmm. pass, okay. but it's not, yeah, you can't buy a membership if you're not a taxpaying resident. Yeah. Is there anything else people ought to make sure to see in Westview? Well, there's two more restaurants yeah. that I would want to note. Yeah. And uh, one of them is Little Matt's, which is kind of a, yes. like a kid's version of a greasy spoon kind of place. <laughs> they got like, burger. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been to like Jack's or Skeeter's uh-huh. or any of those kind yeah. of like, Places you might Places take you a get a burger. Team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it exactly. is the like platonic ideal <laughs> of where you take a softball team. Right. There they have like yeah. burgers, fries, you know, pizza, whatever. They've got a whole thing there of different candies you can buy, mm-hmm. different ice cream bars, soft serve. They've got margaritas for the parents because <laughs> they need. Them. They've got a little like arc and an arcade. Yeah, arcade in the back. <laughs> where else do you get arcades these days? They still have a yeah. little arcade, and yeah. they also have little uh, like iPads uh, for kids to play games on too. You know, and then mm-hmm. uh, next to that, you have Topo, which is this kind of Mexican city style restaurant. So Mexico city got, style, very urban, very stylish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very stylish. Great wine menu, small but uh-huh. interesting. They got really good tacos. I, I think it came down from a, a taco 
truck that decided to become a restaurant. And the little spot where it is is all along um, Edlo. It is really good. It's also got great pastries mm-hmm. and good coffee. Um, something I think is always good is like you just, you know, drive there, park your car, maybe have a little boozy brunch and just walk through the neighborhood. Oh, you know, you've got a lot of shaded yeah. streets. And it's like, look at the homes, right. look at the gardens. And they are yeah. installing a new walk path along Edlo uh, that goes north along this drainage ditch called a uh, Poor Farm Ditch that was like <laughs> yeah. built what way early in the city's history. I know. And yeah. you, it used to be that it was kind of surrounded by a bunch of trees mm-hmm. and growth. It was all killed in the big freeze. And so the city thought to themselves, well, should we put in like more trees? Or like, well, we've got this kind of space right here. Like, why don't we put on a walking path? Because they see kids walking down that stretch every day to try to get to school. They have families walking along there. Well, this is a much nicer way to walk uh, than just a little sidewalk. Oh, how great. All right, y'all. This is so good. I need to go check out some of this stuff. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having us. My pleasure, yeah. That was CityCast contributor Evan Mintz and novelist Chris Kander. In our show notes, we're going to have a link to Chris's book, A Gracious Neighbor, and also to some of those cool places in Westview that you can visit. Now, I am here with producer Carleon Jones. Carly, what is happening in Houston News today? Hey, Lisa. So Texas students will be squaring off with a revamped version of the STAR test in 2023. That's right. For the first time, online testing will be mandated statewide for students, and the test will include more writing and fewer multiple-choice questions. With the new update, only 75% of students' score can be based on multiple-choice questions. The remainder must come from new question types, including short answers and number line or plotting points on graphs. A state representative said that the main push behind the legislation was to streamline the test. This will also make accommodations for students with specific learning needs simpler, because certain portions of the test can now be read aloud, and students can click on certain words to get their definitions. So, so far, this sounds like a positive change for students here in the great state of Texas. That is it for our show today. We have a great daily newsletter, Hey Houston, that catches you up fast on the news around town and tells you about cool stuff to do. You can sign up for it at houston.citycast.fm slash newsletter. We will be back tomorrow. Talk with you then. We'll have some coffee and cookies, milk and cookies, and we'll go for a while. Oh, that sounds fun. All right. Chris, (laughs) I may really take you up on that. (laughs)